You're listening to The Extra Podcast, a podcast produced by Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, B.C. Today, we talk about preachers and sneakers, the Instagram phenomenon. We also hear from Jeff, an update from his recent trip to Raleigh, North Carolina. And we talk about the East Abbotsford campus and how that is one part of our multiplication vision. If you want to learn more about Northview, go to northview.org. All right, this is the Extra Podcast, and I'm sitting around the table with Jeff Bucknam, who's sporting the black campus model Adidas shoes with the white Adidas pinstripes. They have holes in them in the bottom that I've just seen. They were purchased by his son for about $30 and are hand-me-ups. Hand-me-ups. I'm also here with Greg Harris, who's rocking the black chisel-toe blundstone black leather boots. We won't even get into the retail price. <laughs> Can't count that high. And Josh, the producer, rocking the classic black vans with the white stripe, coming in around $40, $45. And I'm Adam Wormald, and I'm wearing uh, gray Saucony Originals purchased online for $45. So Greg is uh, Greg is the preachers and sneaker guy yeah, here. Yeah, he'd be the one getting called out from our church on stage. For sure. The snapshot. That's actually what I want to talk about right off the bat. Preachers and sneakers. I got a little intro for those who don't know. Uh, Preachers and Sneakers is an Instagram account that was created earlier this year, which has quickly grown to have nearly 200,000 followers. The anonymous creator, uh, whose actual name is Tyler, but we don't know much more about him than that. Tyler, the creator. But he sells swag now. Yeah. So but it's not that But all anonymous. the profits go to... Uh, Preachers. No, yeah. Uh, all the profits of the swag goes to uh, nonprofits, and he's very uh, above the board with sharing all that info. The anonymous creator of the account started it as an inside joke for his friends after he stumbled upon a YouTube video where a well-known worship leader was wearing very expensive sneakers during a worship service. Tyler, the creator of the account, is a big sneaker fan and knew the shoes were very expensive. This set him on a course of discovering that preachers and Christian influencers were all over social media wearing flashy and expensive clothing. This has led to an ongoing debate online about the ethics of Christian leaders wearing clothing that may that many of their followers and congregants could only dream of. Today we are talking sneakers, the church, and how Northview is leading the trend with not being trendy. Is <laughs> that... We're leading a trend of not being trendy. Oh yeah, yeah. still. Yeah, yeah. So we're like we are the auth- we we're really our hipster then. Yeah. Because that's what hipster is is you know to go z- to zag when everyone else is zigging. Yeah. We but have, then they all look alike, so they're creating North, their own Northview zig. has like little pockets of trendiness here and there, but you got to search. Adam, I think your family is one of those pockets. Is it not? Well, I see your kids dressed, and they're dressed better than I am, which is not hard to do. Mm, well, that's thanks to my wife. Yeah. Which, don't look too closely. I have to uh, get my kids ready for for church every Sunday because my wife goes to to work very early at East Abbotsford campus, and uh, I still do not know how to do my daughter's hair. Yeah, <laughs> boy. Can uh, I I got to show you. There's a trick. You can take a vacuum. Oh yeah, I've seen the trick. It's good. I've yet I've, to I've use. I've actually the trick. done this with my daughter. It's actually mm. really helpful. You got to keep that. You keep the little band around yeah. the hose. Yeah. And then you just shove it on there. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. This past week, she wanted. I, I convinced her to wear a dress, oh boy. but only if she could wear the unicorn T-shirt underneath. 
Like, uh, yeah, we'll take what we can get. Yeah. It was great. Was the unicorn visible? No. Ah, but, like maybe some of the sleeves. No, win-win. You know. Yeah, I don't even my, my my if I have to if I have to pick the clothes for my my daughter, there's it's not gonna. She just I just say whatever, whatever you're wearing is fine. Yeah, yeah. That'll change when she's like 15. It'll be nothing you're wearing is fine. Mm. But at this point, 10 years old, yeah, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. So preachers and sneakers are everyone around the table. Are we aware yep. of what this is, Jeff. Yes, sir. You know, Greg, from a from a pastor's perspective, I'm I'm curious what you think. You know, should pastors, Christian leaders on the on the stage, leading worship services, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm the one with the expensive shoes, yeah, so Greg, I feel justify, like I feel like I would be justify the one. your expenditure, Greg. Yeah, just you want me to why, justify why my shoe purchase? Why is it purchase? that you have turned your your attention away from the poor and disenfranchised in the world, and instead spent it on farmer shoes? Right. Greg, go ahead. Yeah, defend no, that's it. Good. It's good. Yeah, I. Uh, so here's my shoe rationale. You guys ready for this? I, I have uh, three pairs of shoes that I will wear throughout the course of a year, uh, and a fourth if I'm exercising. So I have like an old pair of sneakers that I will run or play basketball in or whatever. How often do those get used, Greg? Uh, very infrequently. Okay. Based on my he doesn't even count them. Shape. <laughs> They're not even on my radar. Uh, I have two pairs of Bloodstones. I don't even know where they are. I currently think they might actually be in the change room at the, <laughs> the church. Uh, I have like a, a brown and a black pair of blundstones that I will wear basically every day of the week, uh, one of those. And then I have a pair of uh, rubber Birkenstock uh, sandals that I will wear in summer, just about every day of the week. So I will wear one of those three pairs of shoes. I have worn one of those three pairs of shoes basically every day for the last almost two years. And so... So you're one of the people... And this isn't a knock on you that spends decent money, Birkenstocks and Blundstones, to get good quality because you know you're going to wear them every day of the week and you're going to hold on to those babies right. for a long time. Yeah. And I previously, I went with the method of having more pairs of shoes that were not worth very much money and would not wear any of them very frequently. And I thought, this is not actually a very good use of money because I don't wear any of these hardly ever. And I'd rather just have shoes that I always know are going to like fit well. I won't think about them. I don't have to make any decisions really in the morning except for brown, black, or it's sunny out. So I'm wearing a pair of sandals. Mm -hmm. So that's my justification of the money that I've spent on my shoes. I don't know if you need to justify it. No, but I I also think think here's the thing that I've noticed with the preacher and sneakers thing is that what, what's their starting point? Because I always have felt that number to be arbitrary. Well, this is the thing. on the post, they'll be like, oh, this one was 300, but this one was 4,000. I'm going to give you a preview to this sermon this weekend. In Romans 14, what you end up doing is you end up having uh, Paul interact with the question of disputable matters. And those, he defines some of those disputable matters as, you know, one person values one day over another, meaning that one person celebrates, maybe you're from a Jewish background and you celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and the other person does not, you're zero Gentile or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, one person eats a certain kind of food and for them that was, you know, some people didn't like, still didn't eat pork because they grew up under the law, even though that was allowed, but they just felt weird about it because they came from a Jewish background. Whereas the Gentiles like, dude, bacon is the thing. Right. So for them, they were like, what, what do you do when you're living in the same church and you have these different people uh, who have different likes over things that might be disputable? Like, we don't, we don't argue about 
about you know whether we should eat pork or not. We do argue about whether we should eat sugar or aspartame or uh, or or whatever or you know steak or chicken or where you go to a meal or whether or not you buy a certain kind of shoes or what kind of car you should drive and there there seems to be a growing number of Christians who want to define that for everybody and what Paul is doing in this passage is basically saying that's don't don't do that don't do that. That this is actually it's a disputable matter, and there should be a, a level of grace given to people. It's your, you know, if you have a conscience that prohibits you from from owning a BMW, then don't buy a BMW. But to then judge every other person who has a BMW as a sinner who is somehow you know wronging God is to go too far because you don't you don't know that they they stand before God. They're mm-hmm. going to have to give an account before God, and you're not Him. And so ultimately you need to see, you don't even need to come to church this weekend. There it is. Amazing. That was like the Cliff's Notes, or sorry, you guys call them Cole's Notes versions. Okay, but is there a difference between Christians who, you know, sit in church services on Sundays and, and show up with an expensive car? And we've heard you talk about that and that, you know, that's, is that a different conversation than the preacher on stage wearing Gucci, Fendi, Louis Vuitton and $2,000 Michael Jordan shoes. I, d- I just think you want to be careful going down the path of saying that there's any particular shoes or not shoes that you that are not good because you don't you honestly don't know where they got them. That's one of the things about the preachers and sneakers thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they got them. Sometimes these guys actually get free swag because yep. they represent you know like Gucci or whatever will give them free belt. Yeah, because they're like uh, you know they're if you wear this, right. Yeah. You're an influencer, and and so for them, I and again, th- there's a whole discussion around whether or not they should be selling their likeness for that kind of thing. I, I personally don't love the idea of mixing uh, that that kind of business with the church, and I think that there's some challenges that I would have with that principle. But is there anything fundamentally flawed about wanting a nice pair of blundstones like Greg wants, and every single person who lives in this area wants? Or has, again, it's a it's a bit of a different Is conversation. It? Yeah. Okay. What if Blendstones cost five hundred dollars? Again, if Greg, I mean, how about five hundred and fifty? Does Greg have a closet full of them, and he color coordinates them, and it's a it's a status symbol of the Blendstones versus these are actually the best boots available on the market that I'm going to wear every day no, you, he's and wearing, don't have to think about he's it. He's wearing them because everybody else wears them. <laughs> You and I both know this, right, Greg? Greg, come on, Greg. Yeah, uh, I am. Yeah, a, uh, I'm a cultural you architect. Are, no, you're not. You and are a trendsetter. You're a cultural lemming. He had the Blundstones <laughs> five years before anyone had. I the did not. Rubbish. I did not. not. I had them right. three and a half years after everyone had them. Uh, but some of the criticism, the people commenting on preachers and sneakers, is I mean, the the ongoing debate it, it goes back and forth, but. Um, you know, the question of, you know, are these preachers using uh, money that basically comes from tithing from their parishioners yep. to buy... Well, it's not, it's not from tithing from their parishioners. It's ba- it is, but they're being paid by the church a salary that is, you know, whatever worth... But that's my point, though, is that whatever their salary is, you can debate about how much a pastor should get paid or not get paid, but ultimately that's the choice the church and their leadership make. And what they then do with that money, as long as they're honoring God with, with you know, uh, giving back and being generous and the kinds of principles that we find in Scripture, that's where you should say that. But if, mm-hmm. 
somebody wants to buy a like seriously, if somebody wants to buy a Bentley, I, I just don't I just don't know if there's a biblical and I'm going to the extreme here with a car, right? A Maserati or whatever. You might own a Maserati and, and be giving up away a ton of money. I, I what I'm thinking though is I understand the, the 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 pushback is yeah, but you could own a Toyota, and that's true. You could own a Toyota, but here's the problem: you don't want me to investigate your life on the with the same premises. You don't want me to, to invade your life. Now, it might not be money for you, but what what do you do? You drink what Coca Cola or Diet Coke or do you have you know a penchant for cigars or do you have like you're spending your money on that wasteful thing? Do you like going on holidays? You spend your money wasting it on holidays. Do you see what I mean? In the end, uh, it, it just becomes kind of untenable. So how does the uh, how does the uh, command or the instruction in scripture about the the elder being above reproach? I'm well, those, just th- I'm throwing that into the mix. Those of the are conversation. all moral categories. So how do we the, the passage First First uh, Timothy three? Yep, is where that appears, and then the definition of what it means to be above reproach seems to be what follows, okay. right? So they're teachable. They're not. They're not haughty, or I think I can't remember all the all the particular ones. Right? They're not given given to money is one of them. Yeah, that's the feedback I've heard about the preachers and sneakers. Uh, the preachers featured on there is that does this call into question being above reproach if you're constantly sporting $4,000 sneakers on again, a regular basis on Sunday mornings. Again, I think, I, I don't know where they came from. If, the, if it, like, like you, Greg, that might be the only shoes. I, I don't know. Right. I don't know. I mean, there's way too much. My point, though, is that there's a penchant among the Christian church to make those judgments. And in the scriptures, Paul's response is, they stand and fall before God. And, and this, this is, like, we have a hard time just leaving that to God. I do not like a lot of the... I'm shocked at how much money uh, pastors spend on some stuff. I am. And for me, I'm quietly like, oh, my goodness. But like I said, there is a kind of grace that needs to be... Not grace, but a, a leaving it to the Lord mm. type thing. It's not my job to judge them for that kind of thing. So it's a disputable matter. And if there's a dispute over it, because I might think differently than they might think over it. Does yes, as an individual, and it not being necessarily like Greg is saying, sort of a biblical mandated thing. I'm wondering about the larger cultural cultural implications yeah. of living a lot life online as a totally as an influencer and what mm-hmm. that says to their followers. Well, and also that there are other pieces to this that you'd want to ask them. So I wouldn't say that it's necessarily wrong to own those things, but the push the the other side of it that I'm not loudly representing yet that I do agree with is, okay, so there is a follow me as I follow Christ approach mm-hmm. that pastors take. And so if, are you living a life life and a lifestyle that you could commend to other people to say, this is a, this is a godly way to live? And I, by the way, that doesn't mean that you might not have some nice things. Some people have really expensive bikes, you know, like pedal bikes. <laughs> they might, and they might love cycling and give a lot of money away. And so what, by doing that, they're saying to the, the, the people who are in, under their care, they're saying, look, there is a beauty in, physical, in, in, in the physical world that God has created us for this to be and inhabit this world, and we like nice things. I enjoy sitting in a leather chair or whatever it is, and it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with having that because you're, you're a creature made in God's image, inhabiting a physical body that likes physical beauty and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But there's also this other tension that you're living with in that you're, you, you want to model a kind of sacrificial giving and generosity that sometimes too much of that expensive stuff doesn't, hmm. doesn't show. Does that make sense? And I would even say, like, if, the, if it's true that the, the people featured on these uh, Instagram posts receive their clothing through these, like, sponsorship deals, that actually, I'd want to talk about that yeah. if I was friends with those pastors. To be like, what? Like, this does not feel like John the Baptist, less of me, me, so that there could be more of you. Well, that's, I mean, this the, feels how, many, like, how many preachers these days would you define as less of me and more of Christ? It, the, the idea is, like, like if there's all, more of me, then there's more of Jesus. We all, yeah, there's a struggle. Right? And so like how I, do we, anyways, like, that conversation would be interesting to me, of having the... Do do we think that kind of an approach to ministry would be an above reproach one of utilizing our potential for being seen as as influencers and then monetizing that? That to me seems like a slippery, more slippery slope than yeah, necessarily the, the marrying tag the, associated with a particular. The item. marrying of the church to financial interests is a is a as a deep hole that I don't think you want to climb into. I think once you have to throw a TM behind your name, there should probably be some discipleship <laughs> questions. Do you, do you trademark your name? That'd be so good. That'd be great. I'm, I'm going to trademark have, my I'm name. sure you know people what? have. This is a great segue for me to uh, give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode, uh, Ricky's Diner down the road. <laughs> <laughs> this, this podcast you know. brought to you by yeah, Ricky's. Which is not true, by the way. No. Um, All Day Grill. Um, it's an all day grill. Yeah, and one of the other thoughts I've had. Are they twenty four hours? No, I don't know. But you can get anything. You can have stuff on the grill twenty twenty. I imagine when from when they're open to when they close. And I have actually asked for something off the grill when I was in have in there for breakfast one time, and they said, "Oh, I'm sorry, we're not we're not serving that yet." And I was like, "But it's an all all day grill." <laughs> And the lady did not find it funny. Do you guys know enough about restaurants to know why they like won't give you foods? that are a part of the different, like the lunch menu at breakfast or the breakfast menu at it's like It's a marketing thing. Is it? Yeah, it's got to okay. be. Cause or maybe in the back they don't have the, the ingredients, although they do because they're going to have it the next morning. Like and they don't the, get fresh delivery overnight. It's like not like the, they stock, ooh, we don't have any eggs left, so we're going to put them in. Yeah. Okay. If you Anyways. have an answer to that, please send us an email. Right, we're that, dying to know. That diverged. Um. Yeah, the last thing I wanted to say, and you guys can chime in on this too, is that, you know, one of the things I've heard in conversation about this is that, you know, um, perhaps some of those people like, you know, one of the one of the pastors from L.A. that has been featured on this account a few times, he's ministering to celebrities. He's ministering in a culture, the culture of L.A., fashion, you know, center of North America. So... Be all things to all men? Yeah, well, it's... it's <laughs> That's my question. That's my question. Would would Justin Bieber feel more comfortable talking to someone that looks and dresses like him than someone who looks and dresses like Greg? Yeah, I think that there's a. Well, no, there's a challenge that. Yeah, no, I I think that you have to. There's a. There are certain segments of the population that you have to actually be trendy in order to connect with them. Like I'll tell you, if you're in New York City and you don't, you know, if you if you don't look the part. Like seriously, if you look like I do and dress like I do, they're just not going to take you seriously. Even though the content of what you say might be quite helpful, but you know there are people who you have to contextualize yourself to all those places. So I imagine if you're going to, you know, I want to plant a church in Beverly Hills. I imagine there's a kind of contextualization that needs to happen. Of you know, bare minimum that you have to kind of pass in terms of trendiness. I would think, in order to get a hearing from some people, I will regularly show up to 
to church on Sunday and see people in the congregation wearing the exact same Old Navy shirt I am wearing or wore the day before. <laughs> and I'm it's thinking, awkward. okay, I'm glad, I didn't, I'm glad I didn't wear that one today. I don't know if how that relates other than <laughs> no. people in East Africa right. shop at Old Navy. Well, <laughs> but let's, uh, can, I, can I engage with that for one second? All right, doesn't Keller's on? ministry kind of go against that trend of the like trendiness in New York? Or is he trendier than I have well, thought? Well, I, I would say he's, Redeemer strikes it's me as, less of a trendy and more of a... Well, um, he, he's contextualizing things with the way that he talks and things. But even Tim Keller, if you go and you watch, if you see him, the way he dresses fits... He fits into the New York style. Mm. I'm not saying he's a real high end guy, but he 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 dresses that way. And I you know I know a guy who I was with last last week. I know a guy uh, <laughs> who I was with last week who's from who's in New York. In fact, I was in New York last week, and I he he dresses like a New Yorker, and and he is a pastor. And I'm like, yep, that's mm. or has been a pastor in the past. And so he's he, he's fitting into their into their fr- framework. Mm-hmm. He, he wears stuff that I would not wear. Like rolls, a Yankees hat. Well, he rolls the cuffs of his jeans up and wears big, chunky boots. And I'm, I always, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> the jeans are a length that length for a reason. As the good Lord intended. That's right. That's a bootleg cut right there. All right, moving on. Let's uh, go to our next segment. Uh, Want to slip in another announcement for the AGM coming up on November 26th? You can uh, download the AGM package on the homepage of the website or pick one up. On Sunday or Saturday at church, the AGM's awesome to come to. You should you should come, even if you're mildly interested. Come see the church do some do some business, and like I, I, we said before, it's a it's a fun night. You'll get some cookies. You'll be able to sing some songs with a bunch of really committed Christians, uh-huh. and you'll be able to hear what the church is doing. And we're in a kind of cool stage right now, where we're talking about buildings and we're talking about. Uh, outreach, and we're talking about uh, church planting and church, you know, and and multiplying ministries and pastors and leadership development. So it's kind of cool to come along and hear what's going on, and be able to ask lots of questions that you, you, for clarification and stuff. Yeah, and that actually leads right into sort of our next segment here, where I wanted to get an update from you, Jeff. You just came back from a investigatory wow. trip, something like that. Uh, where you? Is that word? I don't know. Investigatory. I just started talking and it just continued to move on. <laughs> I would have kept going to intorial, investigatorial. Investi- yeah. Um, you were investigating. Well, things. you just said a bunch of things. Church planning. Yeah. Um, you've been using. We've been using the word multiplication as a church a lot, and so you have been. You know, you mentioned New York as well. You've been in different cities visiting different churches that are doing similar things. Yep. And I want to just get a little bit of a. You know, an update of what are you seeing? What are other churches doing? What yeah. are you, what what are what is inspiring you? Yeah. What are mm. you gleaning? What are you learning? Uh, you know, we, you know, what are you excited about as far as moving forward Northview as a church and what you're seeing other churches who maybe are a few steps ahead of us? Yeah, one of the challenges uh, that you have when you start with an idea like we did, which is, you know, we think that the best way to make disciples is in healthy local churches. And we don't have enough healthy local churches. So you start addressing, okay, what? so what do you do then? Well, healthy local churches are the product of healthy leaders. So then you have to figure out, okay, so how can we make the best leaders? And we're not smart enough to figure out stuff on our own. Uh, so what we did is we, we started researching um, what kinds of churches, all right? So we're not we're not starting a network as a as a what we call a parachurch ministry. We're not like coming in like a 
like a church planning network and dropping on a bunch of churches and say, give us some mm. money so that we can do this work, which is, has been done before, and there's everything good about that. But we're in the situation where we're a local church who wants to do church planting on a significant level out of that church and ultimately maybe maybe in places far off with partnership of other churches. Um, so we went to, a, there's a couple, there's several churches in the U.S. that have done this kind of work, um, and the two, two that I visited, one was Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, Tim Keller's former church. He has since um, handed it over. It's a very interesting transition that he made, but he now works with what's called Redeemer City to City, their church planting network. Uh, and then the other one is Summit Church, J.D. Greer's church, which is in uh, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And um, they, they do, they're very similar, but further ahead than we are in, this, in that they do campus ministry. So they'll have, I think they have 10 or 11 campuses. And then they have uh, also massive church planting. They've planted, their goal is to plant a thousand churches in 30 years, I think it was. And they, they are well, or in their, in their generation. And they have already planted close to 220, I think, something like that. These are all like thriving, a lot of them, a significant number of thriving churches. And so Summit is very similar to what, we, what we're kind of like. We, we're going to do some campus ministry, and we're also going to do some church planting. And so we learned a lot from both of them. Uh, I was just on their website, and you mentioned that they have 10 or 11 campuses, and those are represented on their website. What, how do they differentiate? What are their church plants look like, and how do they differ from a campus? So uh, a campus is where they take their, their preaching ministry and put it on a video, and they, and they have a very close tie to all of the different sites. It's basically, like here at Northview, we, we have a West Court uh, ministry, so we on Sunday mornings we have two services, and they are in our West Court area, which is, it seats about 150, what is it, 200? Yeah. And so the worship is live and everything, but the sermon comes, is broadcast by video. If you take that and you move it, say, to Yale High School, that was, that's a campus. So basically East Abbotsford is a campus, because we took our center court ministry, and we basically used it, many of the people there, and we asked, asked them, Can you, are you committed to going to East Abbotsford, where a lot of them lived? And starting something over there as a campus of our church, uh, so it's it's you can do this usually within driving distance of the main church because you can. Some churches have tried to do it like really broadly that way, where they'll do video venue stuff all over the place. I mean, remember back in the days, Mars Hill years ago, they used to have a campus in uh, Sydney, Australia, which is hard to do, right? But they were taking uh, Mark Driscoll's video there. Uh, there are churches that today do do that and they do it at great distances. There's a question about how much of that you can do in terms of campus ministry. So we want to do some of that, right? There are still some areas around our, our region here that we think that we can do that within driving distance. And then, but beyond that, and even within it, you can also be church planting. And church planting is basically saying, Greg's got a vision. He wants to plant a church in Aldergrove. Uh, we, we want to help train him for that work and put him through what we call a residency program so that at the end of the year, he goes out from our church, maybe takes, you know, he does some recruiting and maybe takes a hundred people with him. They go and plant a church in Alder Grove and it's, it's over time in the next, whatever, 
it'll be a, it's basically an independent church from the kind of the get go, right? Like we have a partnership with them, and we're happy to help them with some back end stuff, like the administration and stuff. But he's basically doing that. That church is going to be so Tri City Church is a good example of a church plant that will be it. It's it started differently. It's so we want to do a lot of Tri Cities. You know what I mean? Different places, probably all over the country, um, and we want to do some more campus stuff. Mm. Both end. Mm. Cool, Greg. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that's going for you? What are you seeing at East Abbey? Give us a little update on how that transition has been going. It's been over just over a year now. Yeah, yeah, it's been going really well. I mean, I think the there's been a core team of people who came from Downs Road who have, uh, some of them were significantly involved at Downs Road and some of them uh, had attended for a long time but, but hadn't really engaged a lot in the ministries. And so we had a lot of people who live in the area who have decided to commit themselves to to really take on this vision of seeing, look, if, if we can have another another little gospel outpost clear uh, closer to where we live, the opportunity to engage our neighborhoods, uh, the opportunity to engage people who are, are around that area is a lot higher. Um, so people have really given up. I mean, it's a lot of work to pull off a Sunday at East Abbey. People got to show up before 6 a.m. to unlock and get things going. Josh is sitting in the room. He's our uh, not just producer of this podcast, but he is our tech director at over at East Abbey. He knows more than anyone the degree of work people put into it. And they, they put it in because they know that there needs to be healthy places where people can gather to hear the gospel and to uh, be, be equipped in and sent out from as believers. And so people give up of their time and their energy a lot so that that can take place in a place like the ACS school. And, and just God's providence in providing that relationship with ACS has been amazing. And so I think people have bought into it not not just because of a convenience to where they are, because in a lot of ways, East Abbey's not convenient because you have to take a shuttle to get there because there's not a lot of parking and you have to come early or stay late to help get the thing looking like a school gym again. But they buy in because they buy into the idea of seeing disciples of Jesus be made, that, that people who don't know Jesus yet would come to know him, and people who have either been Christians at one point in their life, or they've been kind of loosely connected with Christianity or a local church, they could actually have a bit of a, a personal revival, renewal uh, of their own walk with Jesus. And so people are bought in for the sake of being a healthy local body to reach people with the gospel. And mm. uh, it's been just really cool to see, uh, you know, the, the glass half full side is that of, of the 600 adults right now who are attending East Abbey, um, around 300 of them are serving at least once a month. That's that's like a crazy number in local churches. You, usually the numbers are not quite that high in terms of people who attend and people who serve. Um, and But it's because of the dynamics of our particular campus. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's really easy to tell people, look, if you don't help set up and tear down, we, uh, like, we can't do church. And so uh, people have been really, I've been just really encouraged to see how people have gotten involved to see this thing get off the ground. Yeah, cool example of that. I was I was at East Abbey this weekend and I went to the back and uh, I saw behind the info booth just a a piece of plywood or whatever it is with a bunch of hooks on it and all of the lanyards hanging off of it with people's names on them for people who serve. 
-hmm. and it was there were there had to be a hundred lanyards on there. Yeah, at least. And those were the ones not even in use that weekend. So there were another however many out mm -hmm. in the church around people's necks. And then I was later on that morning I was serving in Sunday school and mm -hmm. looking around and I was like, I'm not wearing a lanyard and look at all these other uh children's mm -hmm. Sunday school teachers who aren't wearing lanyards. And like what I saw of those lanyards of people serving was just a small yeah. fraction of who actually is involved in, in serving in East Tampa, which is pretty incredible. Jeff, I'm curious about your trip um, or your last two trips. Um, what stood out to you about the people who go to churches like this and the one in, in, in North Carolina? What's the buy-in like for the average person that's coming? Is everyone bought into the vision and how did they get there? And one how of, often are they speaking about it? Well, one of the one of the things, the best, one of the good things about Summit Church in uh, North Carolina is that JD Greer's he's a very much a strategist, and so he's very good at uh, communicating, you know, an overall vision for the church, and they've printed it all over the building and all sorts of stuff, and it's very it's very helpful. There, you know, you go there and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is this is the way you communicate something. Um, by the way, one of the things that's interesting about their church is that eat, they they are in the process of trying to build. Uh, campuses so by basically for the, so one of their several of their campuses they're trying to locate property and they're trying to build buildings for them to see them the the campus ministry and so they're hoping to have owned lots of different buildings in the long term so they just built a, a brand new uh, facility that was just opened last year and they're hoping to their main take, campus well you say main campus yeah it's going to probably become their main campus but there are others that they're going to, and that some of the other campuses are not always going to be held in school gyms and other things like that. The idea is that they build for them, so they plant, plant them in, you know, temporary structures, then eventually try to build them out, which is similar similar to what we're we're doing here, right? Very similar. Um, you know what? One of the things that you sh you will be shocked at if you go to churches like uh, like Summit or even uh, Redeemer Presbyterian and others, there is a lot of people. There are a lot of people serving. There are a lot of people serving at Northview. But they have uh, just the sheer numbers of people who are especially part of welcome teams and uh, those sorts of things are it is quite it's almost ridiculous. There's so many of them, and um, so yeah, there is a lot of buy-in. You know, one of the things that um, we're we're probably going to be using. I hope some of the same kind of ideas that they have for some of their uh, capital campaigns and trying to raise money for. For buildings and church planting and stuff, Summit has done some of that. And one of the things on on a pamphlet that they hand out to people is they they talk about uh, their main goal is a hundred percent participation from everybody in the. So they want everybody in the church to recognize that they have a part to play in the carrying out of the vision to multiply and reach, you know, make disciples. And it, you're going to either give, you're going to. Uh, Go either one, you know. You're gonna get. So if you give to it, you might serve toward that end, but you might go yourself and be a church planter, or you might go yourself and relocate. So this is one of the one of the things I love about the people at East Abbey is that they were goers, and right, and now now they become givers still at the same time. But they've chosen to. All right, I'm willing to uproot my my tradition and my my past and and leave the the comforts in some cases of the main campus at Northview or the Downs Road campus and go to East Abbey where it's not going to be quite as, 
you know, they're going to put a, put chairs up and it's going to be in a school gym and it's a little bit different, but they've found the real joy in that. And so everybody's got a part to play. We're going to be asking everybody in the church basically for money. In the next few years, I think every single person in the church has a has a part to play in that. If you you might have very little, but I think you I think you can give, you know, 5 bucks, 2 bucks a month. It's fine. And there are some people who've got a lot of money, and I, I believe deep down inside my, my heart that, that God is going to tap them on their shoulder and say, you need to be a significant part of what's going to be going on in the years to come to both you know, send, send missionaries into the future by training leaders now, but also by helping to build a building so that this campus is set up basically for the next 30 to 50 years, or uh, a myriad of other things in between, right? Hmm. So uh, we're, we can all be involved the mo- the money we raise is a secondary uh, value to getting everybody involved in the ministry and getting everybody involved in in the joy of giving and being a part of something together. Yeah. Um. And we've heard this a little bit, and I'm I'm was just chatting with Greg a few minutes ago about this, and I'm I'm curious to get his thoughts on this. Um. You know the success of East Abbey and the growth that it has seen over the last year um, has caused some people to raise the question about the fact that, okay, they're in a gym and they have a need. Is the gym a long-term thing? Shouldn't we be building or looking at other options or purchasing or whatever? Why is it necessary to, or is it necessary to, to invest in Downs Road Oh, before East Abbey, I, I'm going to wait. I want to yep. hear Jeff or Greg uh, speak into this a little bit because I want to. I think he has people asking him as well, and I was kind of just <laughs> digging into into Greg earlier of just like I I I've heard you speak positively about the building campaign, but I want to mm-hmm. know is that is that a deep rooted belief or are you falling in line <laughs> with the 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 leadership of Northview yeah. to say this is what we're doing so I'm supporting that but I wanted to have his honest thoughts and and I'm curious for him to to share those here yeah I mean when people ask me why why wouldn't we push the timeline of a East Abbey campus you know permanent facility as opposed to the Downs Road one I have a few responses first what one is current providential situations we find ourselves in. And the second one would be uh, just the timeline of actual need. So the first, the, the providential one is that right now, by God's providence, we don't have a piece of property that East Abbotsford could build a campus on. Uh, we, we don't have that opportunity in front of us. And I think the Council of Elders and SLT, if someone came to us with a parcel of land where a building could be built, I think it would probably come on the radar and say, okay, now by God's providence, we have this situation, now what do we do? But secondly, providentially, we, we do have a situation at the Downs Road campus where we have uh, the ability and the open road to build a property, a building on the Downs Road property that if we had applied for that kind of building size on our land uh, today with the rules in play, we probably wouldn't have gotten approved. But by providence, by God's grace, decades ago, we had made a request to build a certain building of a certain size on our property. And the powers that be at that time said yes. And so we're kind of banking on the grandfathering in of that old uh, approval. And the the powers that be have said, yeah, you guys have approval to build uh, a building of that particular size. And so 
I see providentially God God has lined up for the Downs Road campus to have the opportunity to build a facility that could be a permanent home for the Downs Road campus for decades and decades to come. Uh, and so, whereas if we didn't build, my understanding of the current status of the old Northview building, part of where our worship center is, is that it doesn't have decades and decades left of life. It, well, it's, it would have it. to be significantly renovated in order to... Uh, I mean, the piece that you're... I'm jumping in here. Yep. The piece that you're... If somebody says that, I would say, have you been to Downs Road recently? And uh, especially on a Sunday morning. And I would say... I mean, I go, I, I've been to East Abbey. In fact, we worship there when I'm not preaching oftentimes. And... Downs Road, and I, I'll tell you right now that if you are at Downs Road coming on Sunday mornings, I actually kind of would like you, if you live in East Abbotsford, to go to East Abbotsford, because that's your community, first of all, and I think it's a really cool way to worship it there with people who are your neighbors. But also, uh, just practically speaking, we don't—I just don't—we don't have a space. Like we have our 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 auditorium seats or worship center seats about a thousand fifty, and we've had in the last. Two weeks, three weeks, we've had, at, you know, at our nine o'clock service, we're getting 13, 1400 people, and we're having, you know, similar numbers at 11. So that you don't, there's nowhere to sit. We have to put chairs out in the foyer. We have to figure out, we're in the process right now of figuring out, okay, while we're waiting for the building to get done, how do we, how do we navigate the fact that the church is just too full? Are there ways for us to open up other space in other places like we've done in the past? Is that how does that affect our brunch sort of ministry? How, like all of these things. So we're trying to navigate that and figure out. There's no perfect options. The, the best option is to build the building because it's needed ultimately for the long term of the church. Because we have this open door from the Agricultural Land Commission, which is what Greg was talking about, and because the need is quite clear there. And also the cost. I mean, people say that, but the cost of buying property. No, nobody sells property anymore under some sort of like ecclesiastical category where you can buy it cheaper. In years gone by, that was the case. You could buy farmland and put a country church on it. That's what we're in at, at Northview, Downs Road. But if you want to buy property and build an actual church, you're buying that at market rate, and I, you can do the math on how much it's going to cost in East Abbotsford to purchase a piece of property that's between two and five acres, because you got to put parking and all sorts of that. That's before you even put a building up. So we've investigated some of that. We've actually looked at some buildings that were already over there, some you know empty grocery stores and stuff like that, and the cost for them is in the in the twenty millions range. So. Uh, that is a significant chunk of change and doesn't give our family of, you know, our, our family of campuses as much space as what building on Downs Road would do in the initially, mm-hmm. right? So in the end, the goal is obviously to have something that East Abbotsford inhabits. And we don't know. The Lord's going to have to open a door for that. We, we don't know yet. And maybe there'll be a church that we can buy one day. Maybe there's a, a piece of property somebody wants to, to give. Listen, if you have property in East Abbotsford and you've got a heart to give it, praise God. You know, Barnabas gave, Barnabas gave his property to the church. <laughs> give yours too. Um, and we would love to, you know, but even then you're, you're get the development costs and, and, you know, getting, if it's a, you know, remote property or a way that, you know, there's all sorts of challenges involved in that. So... Right. There's lot, there are lots of very practical and even philosophical reasons why it is that we've chosen to do the, f- the first one first. Great. Well, I want to move on. Uh, we only have a few minutes left. I wanted to ask Greg a few 
questions about Romans 13, since he preached this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, before we do that, just another announcement. We have baptism services coming up this weekend uh, at the Downs Road campus. The On Sunday, the baptism service is at 3 p.m. in the sanctuary. And in mission, they are doing it as part of their Sunday morning worship services. So check those out. Mm. Um, again, I want to tie this next discussion sort of just a continuation of what we've just talked about, Greg. Mm-hmm. You talked about a lot of things in Romans 13. Um, Can I ask you a question before you get into the Romans 13, Greg? I heard, I wasn't there, but I heard that you told a bit of a story about what kind of freak you are. Mm-hmm. You're like a, you're like an organizational planning freak. Does that surprise you, Can you, you share Jeff? that with everybody? Because so, it was just, it was preached at East Abbotsford. When you heard that, were you like, that doesn't sound no, like No, not, I was not surprised at all. I was right. like, well, yeah, if of course he is. I, I know, I know you well enough to know that, that, but I didn't realize that you did this with your clothing. Yeah. Could you tell everybody? Sure. Yeah. So we were, uh, so what I, what I do with my clothing on any given week is I, I have a, a hanger on my closet door that can accommodate five shirt hangers and uh every week on like a saturday or sunday while watching some hockey or football i will pick out five shirts that i'm going to wear that week i iron them all up and i throw them on that hanger in order and then as the week goes on it's just next man up you know so today is like a gray and blue kind of old navy long sleeve what are we on what's on deck on i don't know what do you mean you don't know? You put this one on today. I want to know what's on that next hook. I think it's going to be something folly, like a like a like a brown and red. Does the mood ever strike you while you're looking at the shirts on the hangers that you planned on Saturday? Does yeah. the mood ever strike you to go in a different direction? I will at times get a little crazy and change up the order of the days. And be like, you know what? what? This doesn't look. I don't want to wear that one tomorrow. I'm gonna Yesterday, wear this one instead. Yesterday, I wore blue, and I can't back that up with another blue. No, I, I can't got, go back to. I gotta blue go red for sure. So yeah, I do it. I do that. That's a uh, part of my routine, and uh, I love it. And the the reaction I got what from people at East Abbotsford. What was the reason you told this story? By the way, there's got to be a point. The <laughs> The connection was I was talking about how the the language that Paul uses on of putting on armor and putting on and clothing ourselves with Christ, the idea of this this mental state of preparation that we're preparing ourselves for something. So it was a bit of just like a throwaway, like okay, so no, this is one way like I prepare myself. And then I said, but it's not just about old navy clothes; it's actually about he, Paul says put on armor. So why do we wear armor? And then I went forward with that that image of got it. So it was a bit of a it was a bit of a freebie. To uh, an on ramp back on for those who this will I may forever, have lost earlier. This was will forever go down as Greg's weekly planning sermon. That's right, like his his clothes planning sermon. <laughs> and some people <laughs> came up to me afterwards and were like, "Just the thought of having to do that gives me such anxiety." And other people came up and were like, "I, I, ca- I can't thing. actually function without <laughs> doing this either." So it was a real it was a real interesting little uh, uh, case study. Dear. Yeah. All right, back on track. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, There were actually a few things I wanted to talk about, but I'm going to stick to one that sort of falls in line with what we've been talking about, Greg. You and this this is sort of the implication of people who are coming to a Northview church and talking about what kind of churches are we planning and what is what is my role. And I'm saying this as someone who, Mm. for the last ten years, has just been 
a part of the church, a member, not as a staff member. What's my role? What's the role of those sitting in the services and worshiping with us on Sunday? What's, what is the call of the people who call Northview their home? And is it the church's role to go out and do the ministry? And I think you talking about the armor and putting it on and using some of this uh, battle and, and military sort of language uh, really was a good picture and I wonder if you just unpack that a little bit and just share with us, when we talk about church planning, what mm. does that mean and what kind of churches, and specifically for you, the East Abbey campus and sort of your sort of uh, vision for what you and the leadership are trying to do yeah. with East Abbey? Yeah, I mean, I I would echo the the calls that Jeff said. Look, if you come to the Townsville campus, you live in East Abbey, there's some spaces there. We'd love to have you. That's That's entirely true. When you get there, what you'll hear from me is that we don't just want you here because it's a place for you to be. We want you here because we believe that God has called the church to live as ambassadors of Jesus in every area where they live. And so I will tell you, if you do come to East Abbey, that I'll probably ask you to do things like take a shuttle so that there's room for the people that you invite from your neighborhood to actually park at ACS. Because part of what we do as believers is we, we try to orient our lives around how we can engage people with the gospel so that they can come to know and love and follow Jesus, uh, maybe for the first time or maybe for uh, a time of a deeper commitment than they've had before. And so I, I use the imagery of the armor because I think Paul does in Romans, but he also does in Ephesians, where he ties the language of armor more closely with this idea that when, as believers, we don't just walk out into a neutral territory uh, out when we when we leave the local church hub and we we scatter back out into our homes and and workplaces, we're not going into neutral territory. We're actually going into a battleground where there's an enemy who's trying to cut down gospel people and destroy gospel work. And so we need to walk out prepared. That you know the reason you put on armor is because you're going out into a context where there's there's a battle. And so we have an enemy, but we also have have marching orders. The Lord has given us a commission to walk out to make disciples and to, to walk people into the process of knowing who Jesus is as Lord and Savior and initiate them into the church and teach them to obey what Jesus commanded in their life. And it's the role of the church leadership to do what we can to facilitate um, opportunities for people to be equipped to know what it means to be a believer so that when they do scatter from the local church, they can go back out onto the battleground with their armor on knowing that they're engaged in a mission and that there's going to be opposition that they're going to face from from the enemy, and that ultimately our battle is not one against flesh and blood, but it's one against the principalities and powers of the world that are, are blinding the mind of unbelievers uh, so that they don't see the glory of the gospel. And it's our job to to do whatever we can in word and, and deed through friendships and through offhand coffee shop conversations to point people to finding their satisfaction in Jesus Christ. So we're not. I, I heard you say that we're not shooting any anybody. Just the demons. Yes. Okay. Just I just wanted to make sure yes. that that was okay. Did I say shoot people? No. I'll be saying armor battle. Gotcha. Yeah. It just made me my American. Yeah. The ar- my American <laughs> brain immediately <laughs> totally. went to guns and shooting people. Yeah. I mean, armor which is would be great. Is I mean, defensive. it's not great. Totally. Yeah. No. It's the. It'll protect us. Greg, that's an image, though, that's throughout those scriptures, right? And, yep. and the church is, in, in some places, considered the army of God has been used that. Uh, it's an awkward image in some cases, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't want, we don't want to 
I mean, Mennonites are very uncomfortable with it because we're, you know, we're not, we're not yeah. trying to battle anybody. We're not like nonviolent said. resistance. And, yeah, yeah, but it's it, you're actually doing battle against the the principalities and powers. I think what I liked about the image, Greg, and one of the words that really stuck out to me was when you said the church and East Abbey is a place to regroup, mm. as in, I'm, I'm the one that's being sent out mm. to do, you know, the hand-to-hand work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and church is a place to come back, to regroup, and to be re-equipped to go back out. Yeah. Whereas I think we can often get in the mindset of, I'm coming to just soak it all in and mm. have an experience and then trust that the church is out doing things the rest of the week. You are the and church. My, yeah. But that, that's yeah. what I mean, though, is I, I, it's another reminder for me, like, yeah. oh, right, right, I'm not here as just a consumer. I am, I am the one that's being called to be a light in my community, not relying on the church and the church ministries yeah. to be the ones making the change. Isn't that, it's a good point. And what you're doing there is making a really important distinction. There's the, there's the church, you know, as an institution that has certain kind of leadership and some people work there and that kind of stuff. And, and then there's the church, which is the way it's talked about almost always, well, quite, quite usually in the scriptures, which is the people of God. Yeah. And we can make a, a great uh, mistake when we say, well, I want the church to do that, <laughs> and by that mean, well, the institution of the church to do that, when actually the institution of the church's responsibility is to equip you to do to do that. Right, and rather than like, oh yeah, my life Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday is so busy, I'm at work, I'm at this, I'm at that, and oh, okay, well, my church time is on Sunday, and then maybe if I go to the Bible study or small group, those, right. those are my church times, those yeah. are my, that's where I get really involved, that's how I give back to God or my service or whatever, or, okay, if I can just invite one person to church so that they can hear the gospel at church, to reframe that as in, like, no, 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 okay, you spend 40, 50 hours uh, a week at work, that's your mission field. Yeah, Mm -hmm. That's where God has placed you. That's where he's providentially put you to have those conversations around the water cooler. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and uh, one of the panelists was talking about how the local church is a place that restores us. It's the place where we go and we gather together, and it, it reminds us of the story that God is writing in history and how our story fits into that one. And it's the opportunity for us to gather together, hear the gospel, realize that as gospel people, we live in light of it in whatever context we find ourselves in outside of the church, and the recognition that the reason why we need to gather weekly and why not gathering together weekly is going to be bad for us is because we all, pastors included, forget the story. We forget the gospel story of what God has done for us, what that means for us, and so we have to remind ourselves, and so we can we can believe it and, and live in light of it. Well, guys, I think we've been going long, and if you've made it this far, listeners, congratulations. We're happy you're still here, still listening. Hey, and you know what? I want to know your feedback. Is going long and just continuing the conversation something you don't mind? You just... If we're in a groove, just keep going. Or do you want us to commit to, you know, something you can bank on? 40 minutes, 45 minutes, or is an hour okay? Let us know. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.